Well, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of I am, and that God is our great I am, and we've talked about he's our covering. He says, I'm your covering. I'm your guide in life. I am your vision. He says, I am your deliverer. I'm your standard of how to live. I am the one, even when you're faithless, I'm still your faithful and declared God. And and he also, though, as we looked last week, he says, I am your judge. There are times when he has to step into our lives and say, wait a second. Now, this morning, I want us to look at a passage from Isaiah. Isaiah is is one of the larger prophets. He's called a major prophet, not because he was a big guy, but because he wrote a lot. If you look at the prophets, they're arranged in a way that the longer ones are first and the shorter ones are late, and they were major and minor. But he's a major prophet. He wrote a whole bunch of stuff. And he lived about 600 years after the people entered the promised land. So passage last week to this week, there's 600 years. That is longer than we have had a country or or Anglos in North America, by the way. I mean, that's how long that time is. It's a long span of time. And over the course of that 600 years, the people of God have been in seasons of faithfulness, where they were serious about their commitment to the covenant, serious about following God, serious about doing the things of God. And then there were seasons, not so much, where they did some pretty foolish stuff, uh, if you look at what uh, their lives were like. And those seasons, at least in the early years, would result in a judge coming along and saying, here's what we've got to straighten out, people. You got this problem, you got this, you got this. And then the people would repent and they would get serious. But we come to Isaiah... We're dealing with a time of what's called the divided kingdom. And you're going, what's the divided kingdom? Well, the divided kingdom happened after Solomon died. And uh, his son and a, and a usurper of the throne got involved and split the country into twelve into the 12 tribes. And what happened is 10 of them went north and named themselves Israel. The other two remained around Jerusalem and called themselves Judah because Judah was the larger of the two tribes and Benjamin was attached to them. You're going, why is he telling us this story? Because to catch what we're going to look at today, you need to know how they got there. So hang in there with me. So over time, the 10 northern tribes were pretty, well, not pretty, they were really awful. They never had a good king. They never worshiped God correctly. They never did the right things. They kept doing things that were despicable. God kept sending prophets to them to call them back to repentance. Nothing. Zip. Nada. No response. And finally, God said, okay, y'all will be wiped off the face of the earth. And you're going, God let his people, you know, basically wiped off. Yeah, some survived, of course, but the nation itself was scattered to the winds, to the four corners of the earth. Some uh, scholars will say they've gone literally around the world, and that's how you ended up with people in other places. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's an interesting concept to think about. But Isaiah spoke to the southern two tribes that were there. He was born about 20 years before the fall of the northern kingdom. So he grew up at a time of a lot of strife and battles and struggles and issues. He heard about the people up north and the things they had done and how they were faithless and how they didn't follow God. But then he looked around at the people in the southern kingdom, in Judah and Benjamin, and thought, we're not much better because they would go through the same seasons of time. And what happens in his life is God calls him to be a prophet and says, you're going to speak to the nation and tell them the day is coming that you're going to receive your judgment. Things are going to get rough. I'm going to take the temple and let it be destroyed. I'm going to let the temple walls, the city walls be destroyed and the city will be wiped off the face of the earth for a season. Wouldn't you like to have that job? 
to get to and tell people, destruction's coming, destruction's coming. Now, it didn't happen in his time. It happened about 80 years after his uh, prophecies began, but he still had that word. He had to do that and to speak into the land and to do, tell them what's coming, this deportation of people, the terrible outcome. But even in all of that, God says, 70 years, I will restore my people and I'll bring them back. So when we come to chapter 42 of Isaiah, what we hear is a prophecy of his faithfulness. He says, I am faithful. I'm going to fulfill my promise to my people. I'm going to fulfill my promise and bring the Redeemer to reality. And when we come to this chapter, we hear a prophecy about him coming to offer salvation, of bringing the Messiah who would then live his life and he would proclaim the gospel and he would be crucified and buried and raised the third day. And all of that's going to come out of this unfaithful season because God is faithful. He says, I'm bringing it to you. So we open the verse uh, five with this, these words, thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, and who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. So what he starts with is this reminder that our great God still speaks. In the season of life they were living in, the unfaithfulness, the continued rebellion, the continued ugliness, the continued foolish choices by the people in that land, God says, I still speak. I don't know about you, I find a promise in that, don't you? I look around at the foolishness of our land and think, where is God? God still speaks. The prophecy opens, Isaiah relates to the readers how the great God of heaven is going to continue to speak. Now, this is no ordinary God made by human hands. This is not some golden calf we throw together out in the desert. This is the true God. And he calls the listener to look in three directions. I know, I know you've already seen him, but let me point it out to you. He calls him to look up, to look down, and to look in. That's almost like one of those childhood rhymes, doesn't it? Look up, look down, look all around. But that's not exactly what he says, Okay. He says, look up. Why? Look up at God. Stop for a moment with me and think. Think about God. What is he like? Who is he? What is, is he like us? Our memory verse we're working on is what? He's not like us at all. He's completely different from us. He's from above. We're from below. He's something and we're not. And God says, you need to realize that I am not just something. I am God. And then he says, look around at the world. Look at the world we have. God created us. He says, you have this land because I created it for you. You have this life because I gave it to you. And then he calls us to call, uh, to call up, up, up what I bring up what I call a metaphorical mirror. It's not a literal mirror, but it's a, a metaphorical mirror where we stop and we look at ourselves and say, okay, who are we? And who were these people to whom he was speaking? He, they were his what? His chosen people, the people to whom he decided when he would build a nation unto himself. They were something special. Why? Because they were so wonderful, right? No. Because God had chosen them and placed in them this process. Now remember, Isaiah is writing to a people who had allowed wicked practices to infiltrate their land, infiltrate their worship. They did some pretty foolish things. And in a real sense, in Isaiah's time, they're living lives separate from God, doing their own thing, going their own way. But the actions of the people didn't negate who God is He's still the what? The great God. He's the God that can speak to us, the God that wants to speak into our lives, to call us, to move us, to lead us, to carry us. Isaiah is saying, don't forget who he is, this one who speaks to us. He is, he was, and he will be. 
So he speaks. But what does he say? He says four things I want you to see out of this passage. The first one is this. Our guiding God calls not us, but catch this, you. You're going, what's the difference? If he calls us, we can go, well, he was speaking to all of us. But if he calls me, it's awfully personal, isn't it? That's what he does here. Catch this. He says, I am the Lord. I have called who? You. And the, the Hebrew here is very specific. It's a singular tense. So a per, a person, that's not the right word. It's singular. It's not plural. He's speaking only to the one. He's saying, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and I will keep you and I will give you as a covenant for the people, like for the nations. You think, oh, he's talking to the whole country. By extension, he's calling, talking to the whole nation. But by language, he's speaking to the one. And I want you to catch that because that's the God we serve. He doesn't just send out this generic blast text to everybody in, in the kingdom. Y'all with me? This is a personal conversation that he comes to you and to me and says, I've got this. I've called you. I have, I'm going to take you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to give you. I'm going to work in you. you know, it's real easy to say, he's called us. You know, it's like in church, you ask for volunteers and we all think somebody will do it. And that somebody is not me. Y'all with me? That works in uh, school organizations. That works in volunteer organizations all over the planet, okay? That's just the nature of people. We, we hear a generic call. We are easy to dismiss it. But when God himself speaks and says, I've got this for you, we ought to listen. He, remember, he's writing to these two tribes that, that they're in the situation of they're sitting there thinking to themselves, oh, yeah, yeah, the northern kingdom, yeah, they were all a bunch of fools. They kept following after pagan gods. They kept sacrificing goofy stuff. They killed their own children at altars. I mean, those people up in the north were nuts. Hey, we think that way in the south sometimes, don't we? Those people up north are nuts. Come on, y'all. Some of you are finally getting it. Okay, good. I love when I hear the realization cross the building and the light comes on. But they are sitting there at the temple. Y'all with me? They have the temple of God in the center of their city. You know what was in the temple of God, don't you? The Ark of the Covenant. This is where God of gods was worshipped. This is where the people would come on a regular basis to the festivals and celebrate the God who had delivered them from Egypt, the God who had brought them into the promised land, the God who was at work in their We've got the temple! Y'all with me? And yet Isaiah is saying to them, look up. He wants to, he has called them. He wants to take those as individuals. He wants to keep them. He wants the covenant to remain. And the judgment had already fallen on the northern tribes. And the people in the Jerusalem area, the, the, the people of Judah and Benjamin, they're thinking to themselves, that'll never happen to us. God gave us the temple. God gave us the covenant. God gave us the place we worship. God gave us the place we sacrifice. God gave us. We're special. Isaiah standing there saying, guess what's coming? Judgment. Judgment had already fallen on the ten tribes of the north. The people of the south, though, had time to repent. They had time to turn from their wickedness. They had time to turn from their ways. And God is speaking to them individually saying, come back to me. Now, would they do that? 
some, but for the most part, as a nation, they didn't. And their choices wavered between utterly despicable and deeply committed, but they ended up being mostly utterly despicable. And they were kind of bouncing between faithfulness and unfaithfulness, listening to God and not listening. But their choices did not negate, listen, the guiding call of God. Just because we make foolish choices doesn't mean God changes. Rest in that truth, folks. You go, well, but... His covenant remained. His call remains. His love remains. His desire to bless remains. But notice this call is singular. He's calling to the one. He says, I have called you. I will take you by the hand. I will keep you. I will give you a covenant. I'm working for you, he says. I'm here to guide you. He says, on top of that, I'm going to do this. Our granting God sets the prisoners free. He says, I'm going to set the prisoners free. Now, we have to realize... Sometimes we read prophecy and we kind of get a little, what is he talking about? Prophecy typically has two layers to it. And we need to keep that in mind as we're looking at Isaiah. Next week we'll be at Jeremiah. And I think the week after that, another one of the prophets. But uh, prophecies always have two layers. Prophecies have the first layer that is the immediate. So Isaiah is speaking into the nation saying, okay, this is what's going on with us right here. But prophecy always has, or almost always has that next layer, which is out there, in the future, in the distance out there somewhere. When's that going to be? Isaiah had no clue. I can tell you this, Isaiah didn't live to see the out there happen. But he spoke into this here, but also spoke to the out there at the same time. It's, it, it's, it's always fun to read them. Because, so the second aspect of this faithfulness, this prophecy, this faithfulness of God is he's going to grant freedom to the prisoners. It carries the immediate idea that even though your foolishness and your rebellion and your, your uh, thumbing your nose at God is going to, going to end up you being carried into captivity, we end up with the people like Daniel and Shadrach and Abednego and all those guys in captivity coming out of this time. I'm going to deliver them. That is absolutely true. But he's also speaking where? to the out there. Can, can I get an amen on that one? Because that's where he worked in whose lives? Our lives. Y'all with me? That's where he says, I'm going to fulfill the prophecy of bringing Messiah. You ought to get excited about Messiah coming. Why? Because Messiah is the one who came and lived a perfect life, died on a cross, was raised the third day, and offers to who? To you and me, the amazing gift of eternal life. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, is saying, out there, that's going to happen. I'm going to set the prisoners free. You're going, well, I'm not a prisoner. In sin, you sure as heck were. Sure, <laughs> You were. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Before I knew Jesus, I was a prisoner to sin, a slave to not God, but the master of this world. He says, I'm going to set you free. This faithful God would one day hear the cries of his people in repentance. He would forgive their sin. He'd heal their land and he'd bring them back to the promised land. He's also going to do the same thing for us. We who are spiritual prisoners will be set free from the bondage and consequence of sin. Third thing he says, our glorious God then, he calls for praise. He calls for praise. Isaiah 48, 42 verse 8. I am the Lord. Now, let's stop right there for a second. I am the Lord. You're going, 
does he have a self-identity crisis problem? He can't figure out who he is. He has to keep telling us who he is. No. He's reminding us who he is. And what he does here is, is something that, that we probably struggle to relate to. Do you realize that, that Jewish folks today, Jewish folks today, never say the word Yahweh? They don't say the word God. If you read Hebrew or Jewish literature, you'll see the name of God written this word, G blank D. And you're going, that's silly. What they're doing is they're recognizing the holiness and the praiseworthiness of even his name. Oh, that we would have that kind of reverence for God. He said, I want you to praise me. So when you look in the Old Testament, you know, you've heard the words Jehovah and you've heard the word Yahweh, right? Do you realize those aren't actually in the Hebrew Bible? There's four letters that's in the Hebrew Bible that we fill in the vowels because we like words that have vowels in them. So it's easier to pronounce. But they, we add those in there so we can say it. But, but really, literally, it's the four letters Y-H-W-H. That's all they write in the Bible. He says, I am the Y-H-W-H. And you're going, that's God. Oh, that's, I can't say it. That's, that's the reverence they have for him. That's the praiseworthiness they have for him. Because to speak the name in their culture of God is, to, is considered improper. And so even to say his name. But he says, I am still the one true God. I am still the one worthy of what? Praise. My glory, don't give it to anybody else. My praise, don't give it to carved idols. My praise, don't give it to preferences. My praise, don't do it what you want to do with it, but be sure and bring it to who? To God. He says, I won't share it with any of those things. I suspect the reason he speaks this is to remind you and I and those people in that day how easy it is to wander from God. Have you noticed how easy it is to kind of get off track? Y'all remember back in the the exciting, enjoyable days of COVID. You know, we had to close down the in-worship, in-person worship and you, you were watching online and some of you are still doing that. We're glad you're here with us. Don't, mis- don't misunderstand what I'm saying when I say this. But it becomes comfortable, doesn't it, to sit there at home, to just go, well, I heard the sermon. I got my yay, yay, rah, rah. I'm ready to go for the next week. I got to hear the music this week. I'm done. Listen, there's only so much you can get through a camera. You can't get relational with a camera. You can't have conversation. Well, you can, but it makes you nuts. You can't have conversation with a camera. Y'all with me? We got to have this interaction. We need that. He says, and in that process, we come together to praise God. You know, we do need to praise God individually. Don't misunderstand. But we also need what? This corporate time where we sing out with all of our hearts, on key, off key, or somewhere in between. Does it matter? And we praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, I'm faithful to be praised. And then he says, our good God leads ever forward. We have a good God. You know that? Our God is good. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you, Isaiah shares with us the forward-thinking nature of God. He tells us this, former things, they're going to pass. 
The fall of the northern kingdom is in the past. The invasions of enemies coming will end up in the past. The people carried into captivity and who lose their lives, that will pass. And the fear of that's gripping our land will pass. He says, but new things are coming. God still works in the lives of his people as they continue to rebel against God. He says, I'm still at work among you. I'm faithful to lead you forward. Now, if you know what happens in the next 80 years after Isaiah, Jeremiah's prophecy, Jeremiah gets caught up in the first waves of exiles and all that kind of stuff. But here's what happens is God is prepared. You're going to love this. He had prepared a pagan, wicked king to bring judgment on God's people. Now, that'll wrap that one around your theological noggin for a minute and let that one roll through. You're going, God used a pagan king to bring judgment on his people. God can use anybody he wants to. Did you know that? And he did that to correct his people so they would get right on the, with God and get back on the path so when they come back to the land, they would be ready to move forward to the days of Jesus and Messiah and the promises. Did they still struggle with faithfulness? <laughs> Hello, do we still struggle with faithfulness? Of course we do. But he says, I'm going to set this thing up so you can do what you need to be and be the people you want to be and get this ready. And even through the impending doom that's coming, the trials that are coming, the struggles that are coming, the ugliness that's coming, I'm still faithful. He's always faithful. Now, what do we do with a passage like this? I mean, the first thing I want you to, to remember is this. God still calls to individuals. Our God is not silent. Our God has not walked away. Our God has not ignored us. He still calls to individuals. The God of heaven cares so much for you and me that he reaches out individually to connect with you. He invites us to individually follow him. He calls us to individually trust him. He calls us to individually walk with him. You say, well, I want everybody else to do it. I do too. Listen. But at the end of the day, he's calling to who? To you. And to you, and to you, and to me. He's calling us individually. And in the process, what he does is he'll restore the fellowship that we have broken between us and, and God. And, and we see in this passage that God is depicted as taking us, I love the visual of this, taking us by the hand and individually restoring us. Sometimes we go to the store. I'm going to embarrass her, but she'll, she'll get over it. And Abigail will reach up and say, Daddy, Hold my hand. Now, I'm under no pretense to think that that will last forever. I get it, okay? But you know what? Until that changes. Sarah never asked to hold my hand. I'm just telling you, no more. She's 22 almost. She doesn't need daddy. She loves him, but... Yeah, she loves him, but... Uh, she doesn't grab my hand and hold me walking through the store. Abigail does. That's the picture, listen, that he calls us as individuals as here, hold my hand, walk with me, live with me, you're mine. Psalm 36, 5 says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. It does not stop. Even when we're foolish and make bad choices, even when we rebel against God and make dumb decisions, he says, I am still your God. I love you.
And he'll keep on calling you until you either respond to him personally or you reject him permanently. To some of you here this morning, you've never trusted him. Can I tell you something? God's still calling to you right now. I love you. I love you. I love you. Here's my hand. Let's walk together. Number two, God still moves through disasters. What the people of God are about to enter into over the next century after Isaiah's prophecies began and and ended, there's no other way to say it. It was an utter disaster. God had brought them out of Egypt. We looked at that a little bit the last few weeks. And he brought them to the promised land and finally got them into the promised land after they spent 40 years wandering. And they had to go through and battle and win and take the land. And they've established the land as the promised land, the land that God had given them. But their choices finally ended up costing the northern kingdoms to be scattered. And then the southern kingdom was going to go into exile. And you think, well, why didn't God just prevent that from happening? Because God's people need to be corrected. They needed to learn the lesson of unfaithfulness from a faithful God. Sometimes we have to go through disasters to figure it all out. Now, it doesn't mean we need to go looking for disasters, try to create disasters so we can see God move, but we need to understand that when things go awry, terribly awry, God still can move. The people of Isaiah's day were headed that 70-year exile because of their unfaithfulness, but who was God? God was faithful. He would use that season to correct them, to prepare them. And the next big season of life for the people of God was in preparation for the coming Messiah whom we call Jesus, or we know as Jesus. God was at work in them, moving. Look what Isaiah 41 said, just a few uh, verses before our passage this morning. He says, uh, you are my servant. God speaks. He says, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. Why? For I am, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, underline that one. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. By the way, that was almost our memory verse for this sermon series. It was number two on the list. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will carry you. All of us go through difficult seasons, don't we? Every one of us has been in a difficult season. You may be in one right now. You may have just come out of one. You may be going into one. You don't know. I don't know where you are, but some of us, it's it's because we've, we've made some poor choices. Some of us, it's the poor choices of others around us. But regardless of why these seasons come, as, as his child, God says, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to carry you. I'm going to bring you through that. I'm going to uphold you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be with you. Friend, if you're a follower of God, lean into his presence. Lean into God and say, God, I trust you. And then finally, number three, God still offers you true freedom. True freedom. There's a principle I think we need to grasp from this passage that regardless of what we face or even why we face what we face, God stands ready to give us freedom from bondage. Does that mean there won't be consequences from poor choices? Of course not. The people of God were still going to go through 70 years of captivity. They still had to go through that difficult season. 
But God says, I've got freedom for you. The people of God had several reasons why they, uh, when they experienced literal freedom from slavery and bondage to other people. Understand that the good in light of the Lord. You know, if they had not experienced slavery in Egypt, they wouldn't have understood the freedom of the promised land. Had they not ended up in captivity, they would have never, <clears throat> never experienced the deliverance of coming back to the land. And though we never seek trials to experience freedom, we can be sure of this, that when we cry to God, He'll hear us. And He'll answer us. Psalm 34, we prayed earlier, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. And maybe you're here today and you're facing a trial in your life. Maybe you've made a big mistake in life that has resulted in trials and difficulties in your life. Maybe you've made some series of poor choices. God still has an offer for you. And whatever you're facing, you can be assured that God is calling to you and wants you to lead and follow him into the better path. Maybe you're here today and you need to respond to God somehow. We want to give you that option to do that, opportunity to do that. Maybe you need to come and pray at an altar. Maybe you need to let, I'd love to pray for you as your pastor. Maybe you need to make a decision to follow Jesus. We'd love to help you with that as well. God's word tells us he's faithful. And everybody else fails you. God's faithful. And hang in on that. Father God, we thank you for the day you've given us, the opportunity to be gathered for worship. We pray, God, as we respond to you in these moments that you would open our eyes to what you have for us. Maybe we're in the midst of a, a hard season of life and we think, where's God? Maybe we've made poor choices and we think, where's God? Maybe those around us have made poor choices and we think, where's God? God, you show us in this this text that you're faithful and you called us as individuals and you want a relationship with us and you want us to walk with you holding your hand we want you to be glorified in us we pray your hand to be loose in our lives in these few moments in Jesus name